We now turn to God's word, and the reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting from verse 12. Starting from verse 12, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So far the reading of God's word. You, uh, thank you, Peter, and thanks, Sam, for uh, leading our service this morning. Morning, everyone. It's great. <coughs> excuse me. It's great to see you all. As I've been uh, preparing for uh, this morning, I've been thinking quite a bit this week about the uh, the interplay between salvation 
on the one hand and the church on the other. And the first thing that struck me is that we need to make a clear distinction between these two. And I say that because sometimes people get confused. You see, some think that by attending a church, by being a member of a church, by being involved in a church, that those things make you a Christian. And as a result, you must be a saved person. But that idea isn't only wrong, but it's actually also rather dangerous. You see, not far from my place, there's a whole bunch of uh, building sites with new homes under construction. So I suppose that if I wanted to, I could get myself a fluoro vest and some steel cap boots and a hammer and, a, and, a, and an esky, and I could trot down the road to one of those sites and I could go in the gate and, and I could hang out there with all the workers. But I want to ask you, would that make me a tradie? Would that make me a builder or a plumber or an electrician? For those of you who know me well, the answer is a very definite no. But in the very same way, getting up on Sunday morning, putting a Bible under your arm and walking through the door of a church does not make you a Christian. Even if you were the most faithful attender we have, even if you're involved in more ministries here than anyone else, even if you said and did all the right things, none of that would make you a Christian. We know that because sadly there are people who do this for years, but yet in the end they, they turn away and they show they were pretenders all along. And we know it because sadly there are people who are part of a church for their entire lives, but yet when you talk to them about spiritual matters, you discover that they still don't get what it's all about. And my friends, this should concern us deeply. There's so many people convinced that they're right with God simply because of their connection with a church. And maybe some of those people are here today. And so if, if you have any inkling that this might apply to you, then I want to appeal to you here this morning. I don't care if you're young or old, whether you've been here for five minutes or for 50 years. Please don't ever think that being part of this church or any church means you're, that you're saved. Because the only way to be saved is by a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is to repent of your sin and to put your hope in the one who our Heavenly Father sent to take our place upon that cross. The only way to be saved is to receive in faith the redemption and the reconciliation that he freely offers in his grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you have not yet put your trust 
in Jesus Christ, even if you've been part of the church for a very long time, then I want to urge you to put your trust in him today. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to the, to the wonder of his gospel, to transform your heart, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to turn your life around. And if you're not sure what that really means, well then can I urge you to please talk to a trusted Christian friend or talk to me or to someone else here who can help you to understand what it really means to be saved. Please don't be too embarrassed or too proud to take that step because my friends, your life and your eternal destiny depend on it. But can I also say to all of us, let's never rest our hope of another person's spiritual well-being solely on the fact that they are a churchgoer. For while the church, while church involvement is a, is a great opportunity to hear about salvation, and it's also a great sign that someone may be saved, but salvation it is not. We must make every possible effort to ensure that those who we love, whether they're our family, whether they're our friends, or whether they are others, that they are truly and eternally saved by faith in Christ alone. So I hope that you can see why we must make such a clear distinction between salvation and church. But what does that mean then for the church? If we are saved by faith alone, well then does that make church irrelevant or insignificant? Does church become an optional extra? Well that's exactly what some people think. There are those who say they're Christians, but they keep their connection with the church to a bare minimum. They may attend a service on a Sunday, warming a pew if they have nothing better to do, but they don't get involved any further and do all they can to avoid it. There's also those who say they're Christians, but yet they have no connection to the church. They say they just don't need it. And still others say they're Christians, but they will even despise the church, treating as though it's something terrible and speaking out against it. In different ways, they're all saying that church is unimportant. But I want to ask you this morning, are any of these attitudes in line with God's word and God's will? Well, no, they're not. You see, the Bible makes it clear that every single person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ automatically becomes part of his church, whether they realise it or not. In Matthew chapter 16, we're told how Peter was the very first person to truly grasp Jesus' identity. Who do you say I am? Jesus asked. And he replied, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But do you remember what came next? Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Every true believer to follow on would be part of this church, this church that was initiated by Jesus, 
built by Jesus, protected by Jesus, owned by Jesus, and treasured by Jesus. But the Bible also makes it clear that every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ automatically strives to live out their membership in this universal church by participating in the local and physical expression of that church in the place where they live. You know, I don't know of any passage that suggests that believers should separate themselves from the gathering of God's people. But I know of many passages that say the opposite. Think, for example, of Acts chapter 2, as the, as the New Testament church was born on the day of Pentecost. It says those who accepted his message, that's Peter's message, were, were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. But what happened next? Did they all go off on their own way and live out their Christian lives in isolation? No way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to any who had, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Our oh, friends, this is the true expression of the church but what about the rest of the New Testament? Well, what we see in the rest of the New Testament is letters. Letters written to local churches and their leaders. For that initial gathering in Jerusalem then went on to multiply into, into many gatherings driven by geography and by practicality. And so we have letters to churches in Rome and in Corinth and in Galatia and so it goes on. And in those letters, what do we find? We find directions on what to teach in the church and what to do in the church and how to structure the church. We see instructions on loving each other and caring for each other and living in harmony with each other, all in the local church. In Hebrews chapter 10, my friends, we are urged to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Ah, oh, friends, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that all Christians are called to actively participate in the local church. And what's that mean? Well, it means that while we must maintain a clear distinction between salvation and church, that we must also maintain a vital connection between salvation and church. For you see, every single Christian who has been saved by faith in Christ alone, they are part of the church, that invisible church covering all times and all places. But every single Christian is also called to be part of the visible church, expressed in the gathering of God's people, just like this, in millions of locations all over the world.
But if that is true, then surely we need a strong biblical understanding of the church. We need to understand how God designed it and how he intends it to operate and also the part that every single one of us need to play. And that's the whole point of this this series of sermons that we are embarking on. This series called One Body, Everybody. And so for the rest of this message, I want to focus in on one of the most fundamental passages on this topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because, because you see, in this letter, the Apostle Paul was writing to a local congregation that had a whole host of problems. But in our text, he pauses to paint this glorious picture of what a healthy church is supposed to be. And the pinnacle of that is in verse 27, where Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Here Paul sums up for us the true nature of what the church truly is. One thing this tells us is that the church is not a building. Sometimes we might say, well, my church is just off the highway down there on Riverbank Place. But that's not really right, is it? This is a church building. It's a very nice and a very useful building. It's a great place to meet. But the building is not the church. Another thing this tells us is that the church is not an event. So tempting to say, come on, it's time to go to church. But again, that's confusing. If we think church is only what's happening here on a Sunday, well, then we've got it all wrong. This is a church service. It's a very special thing. But the event is not the church. But these words also tell us that the church isn't some kind of service-providing organisation either. Something external to ourselves. You see, some people think of the church a bit like a charity or, or maybe, maybe even a business where other people are employed or engaged in order to provide them with something they desire. They may be looking for entertainment or looking for social activities or, or looking for care and counselling in a time of need. They treat it a bit like a, like a sporting event where you buy tickets and sit in the stands watching while the players do their thing. Or they treat it a bit like an organisation where you pay your dues and then expect to get benefit in return. But my friends, the church is not a building, it's not an event, and it's not a business providing a service. No, my friends, the church, Paul says, is people. It's you and me. It's all of us. The church, Paul says, is the body of Christ and each one of us a part of it. So what are the implications of that? Well, the fact that the church is the body of Christ reminds us, first of all, that it is his and it is made up of those who believe in him. Only Christians can truly understand the purpose and the mission of the church. That doesn't mean that the physical gathering doesn't include those who are not yet Christians, but the whole aim is to help them 
to reach that point when they too can put their faith in Jesus Christ and experience his glorious salvation. But we also need to consider the fact that the church is described as a body, and this is key. And the first thing that tells us is that the church is marked by unity. Have a look at verses 12 and 13. Paul says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now, I don't need to explain that too much, do I? We all have a human body. And we know that our bodies are made up of many parts, but yet we're a single, self-contained unity. Well, the church is just like that. For there are many of us, and we're all so different, different in age, different in gender, in culture and background, in interests, in education, in wealth, and so on. But yet, unlike any other organisation on earth, we are a single, self-contained unity. We're not isolated individuals, my friends, but we are connected to each other in the most in intimate way. For we are joined by our common faith, our faith in Jesus, and we share the same eternal hope in him. We are, as Paul puts it, all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body. And you know, that should have a radical impact on how we think about each other and how we talk to each other and how we treat each other. Sometimes we forget what it is that's joining us together. We forget that despite all our human differences, there is something far more important that we have in common. Let's never forget that together we are the body of Christ. The other thing this body metaphor tells us is that we're also marked by diversity. Paul says, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So what's his point here? His point is that we all have something different and essential to contribute we know that for a human body to be healthy, every one of its parts needs to do its work. And if any part does not do its work, the result then is sickness, disability, or even death. But it's the same here in the church. Every part of God's body has a role to play. And that's because, my friends, while we have been baptised by one spirit, that very same spirit, we are told, gives us different gifts. The spirit gives us varying talents and skills, strengths and abilities, all to be used for the benefit of others. Just before our text, it says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given. Why? For the common good. But the fact that we have different gifts can cause a problem. For our human nature leads us to compare, doesn't it? And when we compare, we tend to think that some gifts, and thus some people, are more important 
or more necessary than others. But Paul addresses this, doesn't he? First of all, in verses 15 to 20, he speaks there to those who think that their spiritual gifts are inferior and that others are better than they are. Listen to what he says. He says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Paul's argument is clear and logical, isn't it? He describes the absolute necessity of every part in the human body and uses this to remind us of the absolute necessity of every single person in the body of Christ. And so when the Lord designed the church, when the Lord designed this church, he arranged every part just as he desired. And that means that none of us are able to say that we have no spiritual gifts. If we have the Holy Spirit, then he has equipped us to contribute in some way to the body. This also means that none of us can say that our spiritual gifts are unimportant or unnecessary. Perhaps you don't think that you have very much to contribute. Well, I want to assure you this morning that you do. Because even if it doesn't look like much in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of God, it's essential and it's of the utmost value. But a third thing this means is that none of us can refuse to use our spiritual gifts. We have a responsibility to, to think about the abilities that God has given to us and a responsibility to use them, why? For the common good. For if we don't, well, if we don't, then other parts of the body will be overworked and the body will become unwell and eventually the body could even die. Friends, please don't fall for that popular idea that church is just something that you attend, something you go to and then go home and that's it. But, re but realise that it, rather it's, it's something that you're, you're an essential and organic part of. The true church is about every member ministry. The true church is about a wide variety of ministry. Every one of us has something vital to contribute Gifts that we must use, and every one of us is important to the well-being of the whole body. But then, having addressed those who think that their own gifts are inferior, Paul also speaks to those who think that their own gifts are superior, and he does that in verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 
On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. My friends, there isn't one person in this church who is not required so let's never be thinking that, that we're better or more important than anyone else. In fact, Paul says that those who may seem to be weaker are in fact indispensable and they should be valued all the more. For only then will this body be truly healthy as we all care for one another, suffering and rejoicing together. The sad truth is that far too often people in the church are treated as though they are inferior, unimportant or dispensable. They're ignored, they're criticised, they're ridiculed. They're told, we don't need you. But what a tragedy. May that not be the way things work here at Riverbank. May we strive to be a church that values every single one, even those who are less valued in the eyes of the world. And if we have failed in that, we need to repent and we need to strive to do better. Paul tells us in these verses that the church is marked by both unity and diversity. We are one body with many parts. And then the, the passage concludes in the final verses where the rubber hits the road and he provides a description of some of those gifts and some of those roles. And that's so important, my friends, that we're not going to look at it today because Reuben's going to be doing that next week and looking at those gifts in much more detail. And so in conclusion, my friends, let us never think, let us never think that we are saved because we attend church. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. But yet those who are saved, God tells us, are part of his church, part of the body of Christ. And every single one of us is needed and necessary. The Lord has placed us here for good reason. And he has given us spiritual gifts to use for the common good. And so this morning I want to urge you to consider how you have been called to contribute to God's work here at Riverbank and in our community. How has he equipped you to serve others? Are you honestly using his gifts for him? Are you willingly and enthusiastically serving the Lord for the sake of his body, for the sake of his mission, for the sake of of his kingdom for none of us can say we have no gifts or that our gifts do not matter and none of us can look down on others and say that their gifts are not needed either for we are all God Christ's body held together by his blood 
and by His grace. And so every part is essential. So my friends, let us pray that God would waken us to these things as individuals, but also as an entire congregation. Let us pray that we would use our gifts more and more to build each other up and to reach out to the lost, for then we will increasingly become a church that is healthy and effective, bringing glory to our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so, so much for calling us out of darkness and into your glorious light. Father, we thank you for saving us through faith and hope in your Son. And Father, we thank you that our salvation does not depend on anything we do, including being part of this church. And Lord, if there are any here today who think that they are saved because of their church attendance, or their church membership, or their church involvement. Well, Lord, then we pray, please help them to see that that would be a false hope and help them instead to put their hope in Christ alone. But Lord, may that never cause us to devalue the church, for you have taught us that the church is yours. It is your treasure. It is your body. And not only that universal church of all times and all places, but, but also the local expression of your church as believers meet and share life together, just as we're doing here today and as we do every day in our lives at Riverbank. Lord, please help us to understand how, how you designed the church to be. Help us to understand that it is a body where every single one of us are important, valuable and necessary. That it is a body where you have given every single one of us gifts that we can use for the common good. And so, Father, we pray, please help every single one of us to discover our gifts, to use our gifts and to play our part in glorifying your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.